Sustainable, the podcast, is listened to in 20 countries over five continents and features inspiring interviews with leaders of sustainable practices. With your host, Tabby Jane, CEO and founder of EarthSelf, creating a global movement to educate leaders and organizations on the transformative power of nature-centered business. In episode 32, I spoke with Iona Tetelea, managing partner of Invisible Nature, a consultancy firm based in Bucharest, Romania, that offers innovative and integrated solutions in the field of corporate sustainability, nature conservation and environmental communication about the difference between corporate social responsibility and sustainability. Today, I'm speaking with Wayne Turner. Wayne Turner, CEO of Odyssey Sensors, has more than 20 years experience leading startups, going concerns and turnarounds. His career has spanned a wide range of educational, environmental and social endeavours in the US and internationally, most notably East Africa. In the early part of his career, Wayne built and led a public shellfish restoration and aquaculture project in New England. Later, Wayne served in a number of leadership capacities at Teton Science Schools in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and more recently as Executive Director of the Ashokan Centre in New York. Wayne joins us from his home in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Welcome, Wayne. It's great to have you on Sustainable today. Hey, it's great to be here, Tabby. Thanks so much. So can you tell us a little bit more about the sensors that you produce and how they help promote economic and environmental sustainability? Well, great question. Odyssey Sensors is really, that's what we're all about. We're developing affordable, usable, versatile technology that particularly helps the overlooked and underserved farmers of the world. Think of a smallholder shrimp farmer in Bangladesh who is trying to bring a crop to market and keeps losing and stumbling over losing uh, a large portion of the of the shrimp larvae that he's trying to raise to market size. And we've, we've gone in and looked at how can we apply some really simple fundamental technology that would greatly improve that. For example, we've developed what we call the healthy shrimp salinity sensor. Really low cost, solar powered, handheld sensor. You charge it in the sun, you stick it in the pond water, you wait about five seconds and it tells you what the salinity is. Now knowing what the salinity is allows that farmer to, to manage and manipulate that pond water, can add more salt if it's too diluted, can dilute that pond by bringing fresh water in so that that optimized salinity allows perhaps in many cases a doubling of the amount of shrimp that that farmer can actually bring to market and in so doing actually doubles the farmer's income. And so that was the flagship product that brought Odyssey Sensors to the forefront and that was the Healthy Shrimp Salinity Sensor. And we've got one other product that we've that we've just released this past uh, year uh, which we call the Remote Water Monitor and it's a it's an Internet of Things device that allows uh, let's say a pond or a tank of water that may be 25 kilometers away out in a, in a remote location, rather than spending time and energy driving and visually inspecting that tank, farmers now can actually get the status of that water tank sent right to their smartphone or their computer or their tablet in near real time. And so we've, we've developed a method of reducing significantly the, uh, the environmental uh, uh, pressure of, of having to go out there and, and inspect, and at the same time, 
helping f farmers who are in a very low margin business uh, shave off just a little more expense so that they can actually bring more of that income back to their families. So our company is really focused on smallholder and family owned farms and helping them improve their productivity and improve their livelihood so they can invest in their family's future. And and we're just thrilled to be this uh, in this in the process now of, of releasing these products that have been in testing and development for so long. It's a, it's a great opportunity and a great moment for our company. Yeah, so how long then has it taken to, to develop these pro these products in total then? Too long, but anyway, I'll get <laughs> <laughs> Yes, development is one of those things, especially when you're out trying to invent something really simple. Uh, and that sounds perhaps oxymoronic uh, or even paradoxical, but uh, you know, to make something very, very simple turns out not to be so easy. Uh, I would give you an example that sometimes it's easier to write a 100-page report than it is to write a one-page document. And so very likening that to the development process, it's taken us about three years to get the salinity sensor to where it is now, which is a field-tested uh, device. It's been to Bangladesh. It's worked with 56 smallholder farm clusters there, trained over 200 farmers how to use the device. And from that experience, being in Bangladesh, we've garnered a ton of information, both technical things that we could do better internally on the device, and then externally, things that we learned about how a farmer might use this or what else they would like it to be able to do or how it could be more functional uh, in the scenarios that we see in places like Bangladesh or South Asia. And so we're at the process now or the point now where we're taking all that feedback that we garnered and we're redeveloping it into a finished uh, mass manufacturable product, which we hope that by you know, mid-2017, we'll be cranking out an, a lot of these units and bringing them to the market in, in particularly South Asia, where farmers are desperate for a tool like this. Our other product has taken us about two and a half years to get to where we are. We just released it to our, our first set of customers back in September. And uh, we're now gaining firsthand farmer feedback on, again, what they like, what they don't like, how could it be better, what could we do differently. And so we're taking that data and we're feverishly right now wrapping that information into the next release product, which we hope to have in, in early 2017 as well. So there's never a finish, I guess, to these products. They're always works in progress, uh, and, and, but we get them to a state where they can actually solve the problem they were intended to. And we get them out to the field, and then we work really, really closely with the people who are using them, farmers, so that we can really understand where their pain points are and understand how we can actually improve their operation, improve their livelihood, improve their productivity, and uh, that's what we're doing. Yeah, and I mean, that sounds awesome, because I mean, the amount of research and feedback that's going on there in developing those products shows that you're bringing out something that really works because it's been trialled and tested and you can guarantee, in effect, the, the value of what you're offering. Absolutely. And, 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 and internally, um, as a business, we're always trying to figure out how can we get to the, how can we get to the sale as quickly as possible. And, and I, I get that. And we're obviously motivated to do that. But there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a dynamic there that we, we don't want to go out and, and, and not have something that works because that, that'll just sink you before you even get going. We're, we're feeling like we're, we're hitting a good stride here in the, the rate and the speed at which we're able to, to develop and, and deliver.
Yeah. No, and that, that, that sounds fantastic because one of the things that I've, I've kind of like sometimes seen with technology is it's get it out as quickly as possible, sometimes at the expense of a fully functioning, <laughs> fully functioning product. And you're doing the opposite there. You're saying, OK, we want to get it out as fast as possible, but let's make sure that it works so that when we do release this innovative technology, it is actually going to have the impact that we want it to have. And uh, yes, and I that's that is exactly how our team thinks about these uh, these activities for sure. Awesome. So, how can innovative technology, exactly like what you're doing, help us create a more sustainable world? You know, there. I'll just give you a prime example of of you know on the environmental level. So, shrimp farming, smallholder shrimp farming which was, would be a mom-and-pop operation. Maybe they have a two- or three-acre pond or a couple of ponds, uh, and they spend six to nine months a year raising shrimp larvae to market size that you would then perhaps one day see on a plate at your favorite restaurant or something to that effect. Well, aquaculture like that has a bad rap worldwide for the fact that it often takes place in in and around fragile ecosystems, perhaps mangrove forests. And traditionally, a lot of shrimp farms are, have been hacked out of areas where mangroves traditionally resided. Uh, mangroves are, are create biodiversity. They help stabilize the banks, particularly when it comes to sea level rise. And I would say that this salinity sensor, for example, has, has, has two primary functions. The first is to give the tools and the data to a farmer to better optimize and maximize their crop productivity in that pond so they can improve their livelihood. That's number one. Number two, though, it turns out that if a farmer is unable to monitor and regulate the salt concentration in this pond, one, he loses his crop because he's decimated that for either oversalting or undersalting. If it's an oversalting problem, if you continue to add too much salt to a pond year after year, you can actually make that pond non-viable forever, meaning that farmer now has to abandon that pond because they can never grow shrimp in it again. That then creates an undue pressure for that farmer to go find a new place to build a pond to do the kind of work that he knows how to do, shrimp farming. And that often leads, I mean, unbelievably, leads to hacking out new ponds in fragile, threatened mangrove forests. If you can monitor using a simple, cost-effective device like the Healthy Shrimp Salinity Sensor to monitor and regulate that salt concentration, you remove, you eliminate the pressure on having to go out and make new ponds because the farmer now can actually double his or her crop yield from an existing pond, from the pond they already operate. And so it has a, a, has a, a multiplier effect in, in positive response in these really fragile areas like South Asia. And so it's tools like this, it's ideas like this, it's concepts like this that marry and blend the concept of economics and environment and education, how to use the device. I would call it the three E's, economics, education, and the environment. You look for ideas like that, and, and the sweet spot has tremendous impact to human beings and their families, to the crop productivities, and ultimately to the environment. And so that's ultimately the guiding influence of our, of our designs. Our designs are, do they solve a human problem? 
and an environmental problem, and can we do it at a cost that the people at the bottom of the pyramid can actually afford it? And that that's that's how we that's how we approach the problems that we are looking to create technology to solve. And that's that's really the premise of our entire company. So as we roll out new products in the future, that'll be the fo- that'll be the continued focus. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of curious because this leads on to my next question here. I mean, you've you've done a great expl- explanation of your threes and everything, and one of the things that kind of really impressed me when I was researching your company is that you've received funding and recognition from a wide variety of places, such as the School Centre Venture Award, Agri. Tech Catalyst, Global Social Venture Competition, and the Intel Emerging Market Awards. Is the reasons that you've mentioned there of being able to find the the intersect between human and environment and focusing on the three E's and really creating this innovative technology? I mean, are these, are these the main reasons that you've received the funding or is there something else? No, I think that's exactly, exactly the, the the intersection point of of why we were successful in receiving these awards. I would also note that we just recently uh, were one of ten winners worldwide for the Blue Economy Challenge, which was to design and develop a technology that would improve and revolutionize the smallholder aquaculture industry in the Indian Ocean region, and at the same time have a positive impact on. On the on on the environment, and so it couldn't have been even. You couldn't have written that proposal any better for our healthy shrimp salinity sensor. And so, as we promote these products and their development to these prize agencies and and these grant awards, uh, people really see that because that is the driving force of the design and the development of these products. That that intersection of, of environment, economics, and and uh, education. And so I would say you're absolutely right. That's what's brought us uh, to, to the windows. And I would also say that one of the real values here because, uh, of these grants and these prizes to a company like Odyssey Sensors or companies across the world is that when you're working with the bottom of the pyramid economic producers, so smallholder farmers, subsistence farmers, we we have to be really thoughtful about where we get the resources to develop these devices. And so every time we get a grant, every time we get a, win a prize, that money gets poured into the development, and we never have to pay that back. It's not like an investor came in and is looking for a return or that we borrowed money from a bank and we got to pay interest on it. These are grants and gifts that allow us to do top-notch development on the, the product. But we never have to recoup that in the selling price. And so it allows us to, in a way, in effect, subsidize or artificially reduce the cost of these devices so that they can be produced and sold to people who are making $1,000 a year or less. And and so we, we value these kinds of grants and we look for these kinds of prizes that not only intersect with our three E's, but allow us and enable us to invest in something in our products so that people who so people can afford them yeah yeah and I mean what I'm hearing there is is you saying that being able to get the grants with no strings attached and put it into development really allows you to also maintain your ethics and your values as an organization and really focus on making an impact in the lives of the people that you're looking to help with your product rather than satisfy any shareholder or investor um, benefits 
That is absolutely true. And I will say, though, we are a for-profit company, and so we do have investors who do help us. And this, and so we have we, we balance that. And so it, it allows in, traditional investors to participate in, a, in an investment opportunity like Odyssey Sensors, where if it was just for the... It, it, it makes it even more attractive that our company can do social, valuable impact work and use harness the full power and effect of business. And, and that's also something that uh, we are a certified B corporation, which is basically using business for good, harnessing the innate value and power of, of business and markets to do good work for people who otherwise are underserved and overlooked. And so by balancing and marrying grant money with investment money, we've come up with a really winning formula. And we've continued this now for about three years. And we're always looking for new opportunities where we can leverage investor dollars, leverage grant dollars with investor dollars and, and bring the whole business forward. And it's it's really worked well for us. Yeah. And, and what I like about what you've just shared there is, um, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody a few weeks ago talking about how even within business, the idea of like social enterprise or doing business for for good is kind of can be sneered upon and looked down upon. And what you're actually showing is, well, you can do both really well and still make a profit and satisfy the benefits and the interests of everybody involved. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not mutually exclusive. It's, it works together. It does. It works very well together, and uh, and and if anything, we probably you know as you say, people could sneer at that, and and it's that's that's their prerogative. But I would also say that companies like Odyssey Sensors and Benefit Corporations uh, uh, probably are held to a higher standard because we are really asked, and and we're asking ourselves to walk what we walk the talk, and uh, and that's that's. That's challenging, and uh, but it's it's what motivates my team, it's what motivates the founders of the company, and it's also what motivates uh, our investors. And and we're pleased to keep finding people who want to join on this this track, and 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 it's a growing movement worldwide, and we're just thrilled to be part of it. Yeah, now that's fantastic. So then, if you have organisations who um, are wanting to to kind of balance social impact with for profit or invest in maybe looking into alternative technologies, especially if they're needing to disrupt the industries, the existing industries that you're already in. I mean, how would you suggest that they started to go about it? You know, the first is, I guess, fundamentally is what is the problem that you're trying to solve? Uh, for our case, let's just say it was salinity management for smallholder farmers. There's an idea that has some real, that it has huge impact. There, there are, two and a half million smallholder shrimp farmers in the world all suffering from exactly the same problem. And so the market is large and the solution is simple. Wow, that is that is a, it doesn't mean getting to the, put it, bringing those two things together is simple, but the solution is very simple. It's a very simple device. The market is large. That's a good combination. And so then it's a matter of, 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 of really streamlining what it is that you're solving I would say that it becomes, this sounds cliche, but networking 
and even in the for-profit business. And this may this may go run counter to a lot of people's business philosophy about not revealing too much to the competition. But I've I've really grown accustomed to that I'm not sure what competition is anymore. And I'm looking for collaboration. And so I routinely talk to people who make products that might look like ours. I'm routinely in touch with these people to, you know, to share what we've learned. To listen back to what they've learned, uh, if they're willing to share, and that just that inner that interaction has has propelled us in directions that I would not otherwise have, have thought to to go in. And so, I find collaboration and networking and getting out not only with the customers or the farmers, but also other innovators in the world. And it might sometimes be in a, in a space that's not even remotely related to aquaculture or salinity or conductivity meters or whatever they are. And, and, and so networking, again, it sounds cliche, but I spend an awful lot of my day visiting with people, learning from people, and, and just being with them to learn about what they're doing and how we're doing it, and, and good ideas seem to emerge from that. I would also say that um, writing proposals, all of those prizes you, re- you, you mentioned a few minutes ago, all started with boiling down and distilling the idea onto paper. And... There is a real benefit to spending that time, even if you never get the proposal, never win the award, that the value of streamlining your thinking and really taking the feedback and always asking for the feedback, particularly around prize awards, uh, if you're not successful, uh, what didn't work. They're very, I've never run into an organization that wasn't prepared to provide critical feedback and using that feedback to strengthen your own case and being humble about that and being willing to 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 suck it up and 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 try again and that's that's i mean for all the ones all the prizes that we've won we've probably failed or lost you know three times as many and it's it's a game of perseverance and uh and and the last thing i would say is you got to just be out in the field. you got to be with the people that have the problem, the customers. Who are they? What are their issues? And really intimately understand, living with them, understanding what what will make a product work for them. And and that's, that's, that's fun. It's amazingly fun. It's enlightening like you can't believe, but it's also time-consuming. And, and, but you got to be prepared to do that kind of work. Yeah, so that's a great list there. So I'm just going to summarise that to make sure that we can reinforce this. So first of all, it's find a large mar- market that's responsible or you can get a simple solution for. And mm-hmm. then get out there, network, shift from a mode of competition into collaboration and really spend time talking, learning, interacting with people. Take your yes. ideas onto paper Get them writing down into proposals. doesn't matter whether they work or not. The key idea is being able to articulate what you can say so that you can persevere. And then last, get out into the field so that you live, understand and breathe what your client is going through so that you can actually serve their needs better. I couldn't have said that better myself. (laughs) Well done. Thank you. So how has this focus then, Wayne, on being part of such a sustainable and ethical business impacted the way that you live your daily life? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, most of my career I have spent in uh, the environmental education uh, space. Uh, as you mentioned, I, I used to work at Teton Science Schools in, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. The Ashokan Center in New York was also an environmental education 
facility. And so when I say environmental education, it was really using practices of sustainability to to educate people on how they can take these concepts and these ideas back home with them and you know it's easy to say oh i recycle but it's it that's not what it's about i mean yes recycling is is a good thing but it's really about how do you have a lower impact how is it that you can think about your daily practices and your daily routines in a critical observational way and and frankly i would say if anything <clears throat> It wasn't the business that turned, it's not Odyssey Sensors, perhaps, that turned my focus and my attention into my daily life of how I could have a lower impact. It was probably the other way. How can we build a company that has a lower impact based on not just my interest of, of having a, a, a small footprint, but that, that was the guiding you know, uh, guiding influence of the creation of the company, that the founders of the company share that same philosophy. And so we are always looking for ways to to reduce our imprint, our, our footprint. And so we drove our, we, we took our, our ideals, our embedded personal ideals, and pushed them into the development of this company. And we try to lead by example, which is partly how we became a certified B Corporation. And, you know, we are, in, in a way, a very virtual company, so we don't have a big impact. I Basically, I have my laptop, computer, and my phone. And uh, wherever my lap goes, I have an office. So it gives us very, very a lot of flexibility. And uh, we, we are very cautious about when we have to travel. We try not to travel, if, if at all possible, just to reduce our imprint. And those kinds of things have really factored into how well, we've taken the ideas that we live with and embedded them into our company, and uh, and we, you know, we, we we're not the we're not preachy, but we just try to lead by example. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of like the best way, isn't it? Nobody wants to hear anybody talking about it. Just do what you feel is important, and other people can then see the impact of how how you be in the world and what that means, and then they can be inspired through the actions. Exactly right. That's that's it. Yeah. So who do you most admire then and why? Hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've been thinking about that. And, uh, it, the, the, well, look, I, I would have to say uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it'd be my father. And, and my father, uh, he's been passed away now for 15 years, but uh, electrical engineer, uh, really bright guy. And, uh, he, I, I, I wished, see, I never thought I was going to go into the technology world. I, you know, I have a degree in biology. I spent most of my career working with kids and teachers. And here I am now leading this, uh, as I like to joke, a multinational, uh, technology company. And, uh, even though it's, <laughs> we work in, you know, all over, but, uh, there's only two employees in the company. Uh, anyway, me and another person, but, uh, my dad was an electrical engineer. And if he, if he, I, I, I'm thinking that I'm channeling a lot of his, uh, skills and experience in not just the technology, but he also had an, uh, you know, an, an environmental and also a, an impact uh, philosophy of his own life, and uh, that I think I've inst it was instilled in me, instilled in my family uh, through growing up, you know, in the Boy Scouts and and, and low impact. And I, I just think that you know, I, I I admire him for the work he did, and I would love it if he would be around right now to see what his son has gotten himself into, which is <laughs> right up his alley, you know, right up this technology, electronics, 
was his life. And here I am without the benefit of my co-pilot, electrical engineer dad, to help me sort of chart the waters here. But uh, I do admire what he accomplished over his years, particularly in, in underwater acoustics. And, uh, and and there is a lot of similarities in the work that we do with both of our products right now. And, and he's sorely missed, but uh, I think that I'm helping to carry on his tradition. Mm, yeah. And we were talking a bit about your dad before we started the interview. Um, and uh, you shared a, a fantastic story um, about some advice that he'd given you for public speaking. Um, and, and seeing as we're talking about your dad here, I want to mention this again because I just loved this. So do you want to share the story of um, the key piece of advice that your dad ga- gave you about public speaking? Yeah, well, we were we were talking about pitches and, and part of getting uh, grants and prizes is that you often are, are forced and faced with having to make a, a public pitch stand up there and, and, and lay it out there, what your story is, what your ideas are in front of a group of people. And one of the ways of, of number one, practicing is so important to getting those pitches down really effectively. And one of the best ways, and my father used to say, you don't want to show up on the stage never having spoken the words you're about to say. And so one of the, what he would often tell me before you get to that point, go out and talk to a tree. Talk to a tree with the right volume, the right cadence, the right phraseology, and practice with the tree before you get on the stage. And it's something that I have always valued about going out to speak to trees. And and I think that actually is quite fitting for for the for the purpose of, of your work in this this podcast. And and it's I think it has a, a double entendre for lots of people. And uh, it's a great, great practice and it's always served me very, very well. Yeah. Especially considering that as a result of um, practicing your, your pitch with the, the trees, you did win the, the Blue Economy Award just recently. Yes, it, I thank, I'll thank all the trees for that. <laughs> so what is one of your most favourite memories of a time or place in nature and why? And I can, I can tell from the, the bit when you were talking about your dad that you've had a lot of time spent outside in nature. I have. I've, I, uh, most of my life I've been an outdoor person. Uh, and... You know, I did something really unusual. Uh, well, I'm not. Maybe it's not unusual. It was unusual for me, I would say. But about three years ago, uh, when I left the Ashokan Center in New York, I wasn't sure what was going to be next professionally. And I have two little daughters uh, and my wife, and we said, well, "Let's take a little break." And we went camping, and we love to camp, so that was not unusual. But we went camping for a few weeks down in the southern part of the United States, and then we kept camping. And then we kept camping, and then we kept camping almost for an entire year. It was not, we didn't plan it in the beginning that way, but we were having such a great time living in a tent, living in national parks and, and state parks across the United States and in Canada. And it was just a great time to be outdoors. Uh, we were living simply, we were together all in the same tent. My daughter was one and a half my other daughter was four and and we just i don't i'm telling you tabby it was it it was the most profound experience not only because we were camping but we were together uh we were it gave us time to to i don't know just to be open and available to what was next uh we didn't know we didn't have deadlines we were we ah it was a very uh inspiring uh time for us and we got to see some great places, but I would say that the the fact that we were able to live so simply with everything that we could put in our car, in our tent, 
And, you know, it, it, there's something to that, that why is it that now I'm back indoors and I feel like, I don't feel like it, but I sense that we've got a lot of stuff that we don't need. Mm. <laughs> so, so there you go. Bring it around to minimal impact. Uh, it, how do you, it, it was a transformative experience for our entire family. And I have to say that even my one and a half year old, though she may not remember every detail, it, ha- it has had a significant impact, positive impact on her life as well as my other daughter. And I would do it. I think it's probably what I'll do the next time I'm in transition between, between jobs. It, it's so, so powerful. Yeah, no, it's, it, it sounds fantastic. And I mean, in a way, what I'm kind of hearing from from this is like what you got from that is just how much we can be with one another, how much we don't need, you know, how simply we can live our life. And I, I like the fact you're, you've got a simple solution in your company as well. And there is this simplicity in being out in nature and just being able to experience the connection of living with it and spending time with your loved ones there too. No question. I I I miss it already, even though we try to do it as often as possible. <laughs> mm, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just because it's, it's, it's the ages of your daughters as well, and I, I'm just thinking of the, the ages of my youngest niece, who is three and a half, going to be four, and oh, I mean, she would, she would be in, you know, heaven in her element because she's such a nature kid. God, um. it, that probably is the most interesting thing to me is that we would set up at a campsite. And girls, all they needed was a, pla- well, they didn't need it at all, but all we had for toys was a plastic shovel and a little plastic sand pail. And they would play for hours in the back part of the campsite, just entertaining themselves so simply, so, you know, uh, intrinsically and just, just, uh, loved it. And, the, and they slept well, they ate well, they breathed well. And, uh, yeah, powerful. And so we try to incorporate that in our daily lives. And that's why I live in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. It's a it's a, it's an outdoor recreational playland. It's in Grand Teton National Park. Yellowstone National Park is fifty miles to the north. And so we're in we live, luckily enough for us, in the largest uh wilderness area in the lower forty eight states. And, and 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 that's by design. It's not a technology capital of any of any imagination. It's not like Silicon Valley. It's not Austin, Texas. It's not Boston, Massachusetts. It's 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 a it's a natural paradise. And uh, the fact that nowadays there's so many opportunities for me to run a company in Jackson Hole that has impact around the globe, and I'm able to coordinate and interact with people like yourself and my other team members that are scattered around the globe, and we can actually come together through. These these marvels of technology, like we're doing right now, uh, that that the, the power is incredible, and the opportunity to leverage that in ways that no one's even figured out yet, and it's allowing us to build sensors that are helping smallholder farmers in the Kulna district of Bangladesh, and uh, at the same time, I can live a life where I enjoy being outdoors. That's it's it's amazing. Win-win I, I, situation. Dream come true. Yeah. So what is the one thing that you want people to take away from this interview then, Wayne? You know, any, anything is possible. And, and that, that curiosity is really is, is one of the most overlooked or, 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 or it, it's, it's using curiosity to come up with solutions for problems or to even find out using curiosity to, 
to, to develop the questions. Ultimately, I think that the answers are less important than the questions. Finding the right questions. And and once you figure out what, what the right question is, for example, I'll just bring it back to what, what why are farmers losing so much of their crop every year? Wow. After drilling and digging, it's as simple as the fact they can't monitor and measure their salt concentration. Okay, well, there you go. So then then how is there something we can do about that and and yes there is and 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 it's about anything is possible and and i'd rather approach the world from a very positive perspective and outlook than a negative one and especially now with all you know the globe is the globe the world is going through something right now and there's a lot of anxiety especially here in the united states and uh, about what the future holds and what our place is in the world and what is this are we are we going down the tubes or what's happening and i don't see it that way at all i see just tremendous opportunity and and it's about it really is about uh, just getting out there and 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 doing it and being brave enough to try and and not being afraid to fail. And I I really want to underscore that part because you know failure is the the joke I think some people say is fail early, fail often. I have failed a lot in my life in various business opportunities, ventures, uh, ideas that didn't really materialize that fizzled out, but. It's, it's a pipeline game. The more ideas and the more things you try, yeah, you're going to fail. But there's a lot of – there's a few that will stick. And it, you got to be able to pick yourself back up and, and you know, brush off the dust and keep going. And to me, that's what really stands out among people that really have an impact in the world is that they're not afraid to fail. They're not afraid to, 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 to risk being embarrassed and instead just keep going. Yeah, yeah. So just to summarise that into one sentence, it's have curiosity of the world around you, get out and ask the questions and don't be afraid to fail. You you hit it right on the head. Awesome. This has been such a great interview, Wayne. Thank you so much. I have enjoyed it immensely and I'm so thankful that you found us. If listening to the show has inspired you to find out more about nature-centred business, go to www.earthself.org and click on the Nature Centred tab. And, as always, if you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please get in touch. Next time on Sustainable, I'm speaking to multi-award winning environmental entrepreneur and young global leader, Cressy Wesling, MBE, who is the founder of Elvis and Cressy, an innovative company which turns industrial waste into innovative lifestyle products and returns 50% of profits to charities related to the waste. See you then. New episodes of Sustainable are released every Tuesday. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud. Get them sent straight to your inbox by signing up at www.earthself.org. Or come on over and join the conversation on our LinkedIn podcast page.